when you get into a partnership where both folks or three folks or four are, are equally splitting and making the decisions in a business, I think it's a recipe for disaster. Before we get into today's episode, are you a fix and flipper who needs some money? Do you need to maybe do more deals and you're limited by the funds you have available? Well then, Fund That Flip, today's best ever sponsor, has a solution for you. And you know Fund That Flip, right? Your loyal best ever listener, the founder, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show multiple times, and they have been a previous sponsor, and they love working with the best ever listeners, and they provide short-term fix and flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, go to fundthatflip.com and mention that, well, you heard about it on the Best Ever Show. Best Ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff I hope you're having a wonderful best ever weekend because today is Saturday. We got a special segment like we usually do on Saturdays called Situation Saturday. And here's the situation, best ever listeners. You're near bankruptcy. What do you do? And we have returning best ever guest, Scott Myers, who has been through that. And now he's got over 5,200 units Valued at over $30 million of self-storage facilities. How you doing, Scott? Fantastic, Joe. How about yourself? I'm doing well, my friend, and nice to have you back on the show. So can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and then tell us your story? Sure. The story begins, at least on the investing side. Once I got into, well, I was working for a Fortune 500 company, moved to Indianapolis and started looking into ways to invest for retirement, as dad told me. And so what I was looking into, not only maxing out my 401k with my company and doing the things that you should be doing, but I was looking for a hedge against that. And so I started looking into real estate. And lo and behold, what I found is that the, the richest people in the world, let alone in Indianapolis, had not created their vast amounts of wealth in the stock market. They had created it in real estate. So I began to get more interested and then also shifting instead of focusing so much on maxing out my investments in the stock market, started looking into real estate. And so I bought a number of rental houses, followed the Carlton Sheets method. That's what got me started in this. And before we knew it, a few years later, I had 80 houses and then we got into apartments and bought 400 apartment units. But I didn't have the freedom and the extra cash flow that all the gurus had uh, talked about at the time. We just had a lot of tenants, toilets, and trash. A whole lot of folks that were leaving us high and dry, and the courts wouldn't do much about it because they don't. The eviction laws are to protect the tenants. And so something had to give. I didn't want to get out of real estate, but it certainly wasn't what we had hoped for. So looking at other forms of real estate found self-storage because that doesn't have tenants and toilets and trash, which was the main cause of my lack of free time and lack of extra cash flow. Mm -hmm. So I bought a self-storage facility and the light bulb came on, the eyes were opened. And when somebody doesn't pay you, you simply lock them out and then you sell your stuff and you get paid back. And there's really not much to destroy because it's a metal box on a concrete slab and you don't have anybody living in it. So for those two reasons, uh, and the fact that we have the, the protection of lien laws versus eviction laws, which totally benefits the investor, not the tenant. So we sold off all our houses and all our apartments and we ramped things up on the self-storage side and, and continue to buy and develop all across the country. And 
along the way, we started this information slash seminar business as well. And we began teaching people, starting with a local real estate investor association I used to run. And then it kind of blossomed from there. And I got asked to speak on a number of different stages and different venues and with the trade associations. And we turned professional, if you will, and then ramped up that side of the business. Now I have a number of folks working underneath me and operating a full-blown information business where we create partners for ourselves in the future so that these folks will go out and buy and develop self-storage facilities. And then down the road, we have an opportunity to partner with them on deals and use our equity partners. So it's come full circle. It's been a a fantastic ride. And and now we do have the extra time and the extra cash flow to live the life that we wanted when we got into this real estate game to begin with. Well, you skipped over the near bankruptcy part. Oh yeah. Come on now. That's, that's, you just gave us the elevator version, but I asked about the near bankruptcy part. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. Well, let's do that. Well, that's what I want to do. Tell us. Yeah, this was back in 1999 is about the time when most of this started, which was the recession that we all forgot about because of the massive one that began in 2008. And, you know, in 1999, there was a tech crash. And at that point, that is when I decided actually to go into real estate. So I saw my 401k blow up. I wasn't making as much money on an hourly basis as I was in real estate at the time. And so I decided to leave my job and and become a full-time real estate investor. Well, well, shortly after that is when that recession, we didn't come out of that within about a year to a year and a half. And at that time, that's when the government came out with this wonderful program where they would back a loan from anybody that could walk into a bank and fog a mirror. You could roll in all your debt into those loans and people were getting houses with a signature, nothing Mm -hmm. more. So uh, all of our tenants were leaving. We had 80 houses, 400 apartments, and who could blame them? This was the best time in history for anybody to be able to buy a house, regardless of how crappy your credit was. And if you had no cash, the government would just take care of it. Just good old Santa Claus. So they did, and uh, all my folks left. And so that left us with a pretty large gap in our income and then a, a pretty large ship to be able to turn. So we, every spare dollar that we had, we were putting back into our houses to rehab them to sell to these first-time home buyers. And as you know, Joe, a, you know, a $3,500 rehab to rent something is far different than a ten dollars to $15,000 rehab to get something ready to appraise and sell. Right. And so we were doing our best to sell all those off and we were in a huge cash flow pinch and really battled that for about two and a half to three years. And by all means and by all counts, probably should have filed bankruptcy, but spent all our savings, pulled everything out of retirement to right to the ship. And lo and behold, at the end of three years, we were able to sell off all those apartments and all those houses to other investors and got through that stage and lived to fight another day while simultaneously ramping up our self-storage holdings. But it's an ugly day when you're in the line at checkout line at Walmart and your debit card doesn't go through because it's game over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one thing when the credit cards don't go through, but when the debit card doesn't go through, you know, you're in trouble. And that's at the place that we were. We borrowed from Peter to pay Paul until Peter was broke as well. And my wife and I were in a pretty dark place in the business because this is not what we signed up for. And this, uh, this certainly wasn't what she signed up for. And about the worst place that I've ever been, not about, it is, that's, that's the worst place I've ever been. Because when you can't provide for your family, that is the worst feeling pretty much, at least for most of us guys. I think you does stay out there. There's, I know there's uh, things that are worse, but that, that was mm-hmm. uh, pretty much the bottom. How'd you just mentally get through it? Good question. Fortunately, I had a supportive wife and there's many folks that I've seen in the past that go through financial troubles. 50% of all marriages in this country end up in divorce and 80% of those are due to financial problems. And I am very fortunate that my wife and I are both very strong in our faith And we prayed together and we were rowing together, praying for land and rowing for shore together. And that's what got us through. If I had not had 
the support of her as well as several other smart people in real estate and in business and some of these other masterminds and groups I was involved in, then it would have been even darker than it was. At the end of the day, the only thing that we can do is, is move forward. It really wasn't an option. At this point, there's, I have not only a, a family to support, but you know, really, you know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> you can't curl up in a ball right. and wait for the worst of the bottom to fall out of it. And you would see the fruits of our labor. And we had faith that our creator was going to get us through this and that he will provide. And he did. So we learned a lot from that. And here's the thing, Joe, I, I wouldn't want anybody to ever go through that. And I certainly wouldn't want to go through it again. There's an awful lot of folks that I secretly, and I mean this in a positive way, I wish would go through that because the lessons that you learned about how to fight and how to scrap to see what you're made of, and also to rely on someone else, no matter what you believe spiritually, but also your partner in the business and perhaps partner in life to go through something like that. Those are lessons learned that I would never trade. Again, it was difficult, but man, there's blessings on the other side of that. And I'm sure any of these listeners out there that have been through this will, will, will probably agree. It just makes you a better person all the way around versus somebody who goes through life who never has any adversity. What skill set do you think you honed most within that time that you now apply to your self-storage business or just as an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Yeah. By nature, I'm a trusting soul and I give everybody the benefit of the doubt and perhaps to a fault. And the people around you, including your bankers and partners, it's funny what happens when money gets in the way or when money begins to dry up or if expectations aren't met and you need to vet your partners. And if you're going into partnerships, we look at only the paperwork and the contracts much differently. But now I don't know that I would ever go into a a partnership in which I'll be a 50-50 partner with somebody so long as one of us is silent and the other one is the driving force. But when you get into a partnership where both folks or three folks or four are, are equally splitting and making the decisions in the business, I think it's a recipe for disaster. But really, most of the partnerships that we have right now are syndication in form, as we talked about briefly before we started this call. And whereas I'm the promoter and the syndicator and everybody else is silent, period, and I have control. And so at the end of the day, I don't know that I'll ever get into a partnership where we have equal decision making. That's the first. Second of all, I'll tell you, I learned an awful lot about banks I don't like. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Don't get me wrong. There are partners in your business as well. They're truly partners. And if you use a bank, depending upon the LTV, 65, 75, 80%, don't kid yourself. They own the property. You're a minority partner in that uh, property. And they have the control. So not only do you have your real estate attorney look at your promissory note when you close on this, but just um, I try to avoid banks at all costs. That's why we were forced to look at private equity and doing our deals uh, when the money dried up. And that is a useful lesson in itself that has uh, taught us a lot and allows us to quite honestly get into bigger deals and better deals that we weren't able to before because if it wasn't bankable, we didn't do it. So you know, that has helped as well. But you know, going back to the lessons learned, we don't like to darken the door of a bank if we absolutely don't have to. And if we are going to do it, we'll have a clear short-term exit strategy in mind we're not going to go down the path, never say never, but I don't see us going down the path of looking at 15, 20, 30 year mortgages and having a bank as a partner during that time frame. Because during that time frame, you'll go through at least three recessions and the banks have the ability to uh, change on a dime and really not uh, give you an option if uh, they decide to do something different with their business that they own and you're a minority partner in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. With your syndications, you said you're the lead partner and then you've got passive limited partners in the deals, are they able, and this is a very granular question with how you draw it up, but are they able to vote you out at all? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have that stipulation in there. So uh, I, I am the majority. We also appoint one person and I allow, you know, once the syndicate is closed, essentially we have all the partners that are going to be in that, that become partners going forward. We get on a webinar, we do multiple webinars in the beginning, and then usually once a month for a while, and then once a quarter to keep everybody up to speed. But after those first few calls, we will have somebody who will either volunteer or I will volunteer someone to be the lead voice for the investor group. And I asked them, I say, hey, listen, follow behind me. You have access to everything in the Dropbox and all the numbers and everything. Shop the properties, shop the property management company and, and keep an eye on anything that's going on on my end. But also you can have meetings at any time to discuss my performance as, as the person who's driving the engine in this thing and who's moving the needle. And if you don't like it, then by two thirds majority, they can vote me out as the managing member. Now they don't dilute any of my ownership. You know, I, I preserve all of that or any of that should that ever happen. But by unanimous vote, it's a quorum, I believe. I think some of the LLCs are a little bit different, Joe, yeah. but it's either two thirds or a quorum. I think sometimes that's one and the same. If they don't like what I'm doing, they think I'm doing a crummy job, then yes, they can vote me out and they can put in another managing member in my place. To date, you know, we've been doing this quite a while and nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever threatened or I haven't heard wind of it, <laughs> but they have the ability to do that if they don't, uh, they don't like uh, what Scott's doing. They, they have the ability to do so. Got it. And in that Armageddon scenario, you'd still maintain your ownership. So since you're not being diluted, they'd basically be saying you're doing such a poor job, they will choose to dilute themselves in order to probably compensate whoever they're putting in. If they would, in most cases, it would be hiring a different management company and okay. or perhaps a consultant or somebody coming in and either it would be paid a fee out of uh, the property if they wanted, or it could be a, a dilution of somebody's shares or their shares. Mm-hmm. Anything else as it relates to being near bankruptcy to now having a company with over 5,200 storage units that you wanted to mention? Yeah, there are things that happen in the economy, in our industry or any industry that that sometimes are beyond your control. And as I looked at the noble thing to do was to burn all my 401k money and savings and absolutely every last dime to preserve my credit with the banks. And also, you know, we didn't have equity partners at that time, but just to save the properties and ultimately save my credit because that's our lifeblood. And as I look back, I will never do that again. If the economy tanks and we haven't foreseen and prepared for that, which we are now, we've been through two of these recessions. We know what we're doing and we're going to take advantage of it instead of being a victim or lose anything or any value at this point. But should we have another financial Armageddon or something in our economy, something that's absolutely beyond our control is just a function of what's happening in our country and economy. We're not going to burn through all of that. I will be handing the keys back to the banks if there are any. From our equity investors, we're all in this together. And so we'll do what it takes at that point. But when it comes to any money that's out there, and we don't have any, I don't have any bank debt right now, but should I ever decide to take that on again, I won't give them every last dime and leave myself with nothing at this point. Because no matter how you look at it, and many people may disagree with me out there, but we have a reset button in this country. It's called a chapter 11. And if that should happen again, we'll do a chapter 11 and we'll work with our lenders like we did the last time and find a way to come out of it without um, bankruptcy or damaging uh, our credit. Now, again, we didn't have to do that, but I burned through a lot of cash that I probably shouldn't have done so. And there's a couple of those properties, a couple LLCs that we probably should have taken a different look at what was the smarter, wiser thing to do because we were set back several years as a result of that. 
Mm-hmm. So every situation is different and every person is, is different, but I've talked to you through that time. Um, and I'm sure you probably have as well, Joe. There's a whole lot of folks that used to be real estate investors in 2008 that aren't. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That. And I, I don't think there's a one of those of us that are on the noble side that decided to do that versus uh, there's three groups. Those who do everything to avoid that. There's those that just didn't have any money left and they, they were forced to file bankruptcy. And there's those that were smart enough to file a chapter 11 and reorganization and work with the lenders and work with whoever they needed to, to come out of that without their credit totally damaged and doing the right thing. That's what we've learned. There's ways of bowing out and winding down a business where you don't damage your credit as much, your credibility, and you live to fight another day. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. And of you talking through this and sharing the lessons learned, and I'm going to summarize them in a second, but before I do, how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? If you Google self-storage in my name, you'll find me. <laughs> but our, our main site is selfstorageinvesting.com. But beyond that, I think we've got more sites and hits, over 40,000 uh, out there anywhere. So if you're looking for anything self-storage, you're on investing, you'll run into me. But main site with all our tools and free resources and to learn about our events and our partnerships and deals that we're doing at selfstorageinvesting.com. Outstanding. Scott, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking about what it takes to go from near bankruptcy to over 5,000 self-storage units. The four lessons that I learned during our conversation is, one, you've got to have a supportive team members. In your case, you had a supportive wife with a aligned vision. That's number one. Two, professional support in terms of team members and mastermind groups. So you've got to not only have the kind of emotional support at home, but also the professional support where others who are doing similar things or have been in similar situations can help give direction that you need. Three is, well, the bank thing. I mean, (laughs) banks are your best friend in the good times, and when things go south, they could be your worst enemy. And we are in a very favorable market right now in terms of acquiring debt. So dinners and drinks and everyone's giving each other high fives, but talk to someone who has been in a situation that you've been in and have seen the other side of the banker when things aren't going as well and ask them how did the bankers they were working with handle the situation at that time and you might get a different perspective. It's just important to know with all of our business ventures There's one or two things that if they go wrong, then everything could be different. And we've just got to protect ourselves along the way. And then four is just your overall approach of, hey, you're not going to put your personal finances as much on the line as you did before. You'll take a different approach. You'll look at a case-by-case basis. And you said you have set your business up, so it likely won't happen again. But should you come across that situation, then that's how you'll approach it. So thanks for being on the show, Scott. Best ever listeners, if you want to check out Scott's first conversation he had with us on the show, then go back all the way to episode 109. Yes, that's like over a thousand episodes ago. 109, it aired December 20th, 2014. That's how long ago when I first met Scott and great for our conversation, Scott. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Take care. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? 
Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there, too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.